Adam, thank you so much for that reading. Friends, don't look at your watch. <laughs> I, was, I was looking at the time and I was like, so which pages am I going to pull, remove from here? Um, I will do my best. I will do what I can to move us through the text, to give it what it deserves, but also to be mindful of the time um, that has taken place. But it has been a good Sunday. Amen? What a good Sunday. Just all of the elements that have come together. It's truly a, uh, something to declare the goodness of God. Last week, we started the Advent season off with our missionaries coming and speaking here with us. And they ended with this great, uh, good reminder, this declaration that all of our needs will be supplied in Christ Jesus. It was a word for us. It was a promise for us to hold on to. It was a reminder that we can and we must trust God with our lives. And as he often encourages to do, you finish off with an amen. I was like, you know what? We can do that. I can do that with a bit of an amen. It is true. This is good. But there's always a but. But what happens when the promise is taking too long? We have our impatient moments. Um, there was this one time I was in a McDonald's lineup, and it was taking so long that I left the lineup, got into my car to go into the drive-through, thinking that that would speed it up, only to which then there ended up being another traffic jam. That was not my day. Um, but we have an impatience built within us. We want our coffee instant. We want it faster than instant. So now we have Keurig and Nespresso, we, are, we have an impatience in us. Also, what do we do when we can no longer see the provision? You know, you, you take a quick look at your life and it just doesn't look the way you thought it was supposed to look. Things don't add up and you think to yourself, what happened? Where did, where did this all go? And you just can't seem to picture it. Or what about when you just no longer feel it? Um, those of us who might be feelings driven, one day you're just like, I just don't feel what I feel like I'm supposed to feel when it comes to trusting in God. Many of us have friends that just have turned to us at one day and said, I just don't feel anything anymore. And they've made a decision out of that feeling to walk away from the Lord. And it's sad and it's hard. And then even worse, what about when it seems as though all that we've hoped for has been chopped at the root. That tree of life is dead. It's a dried up stump. Nothing, zero, gone, hopeless. Well, you, we are in good company. The first Advent season, about 2,000 years ago, all of Israel was wrestling with, God, you said these words and we keep waiting. And we keep waiting, and waiting a little bit longer. And most of Israel was likely saying, I am losing hope, or I have lost all hope. The Advent season makes us wrestle with this. It invites us into these complicated feelings. It's a season of waiting. Advent is an invitation for us to acknowledge that there's a tension, and to admit in our lives that in the waiting, we often end up not being a patient person or a person filled with grace, but things go in different ways. That the peace that 
we wait for, it gets thinner and thinner, and sometimes we forget what we're even waiting for. Well, characters like Mary, Elizabeth, Joseph, the wise men, uh, Simeon and Anna, these can be guides to help us as we navigate our own complicated lives between joyful anticipation and anxious apprehension. So today we will look at Simeon and Anna and consider what do they do, what hope do they hold on to and how do they hold on to that hope? Um, what is the nature that sustains them through all of this? And, and the picture of like when the garden has been cut to the roots, there's nothing left, how do they hold on? And these two prophets, they were familiar with the Isaiah scrolls. Simeon's own words in Luke are filled with the connections, filled with the hyperlinks to Isaiah. We have Isaiah 9, Isaiah 40, 42, 49, 52. There's so many possible connections and allusions, and Luke does a fantastic job throughout his account of showing the connections to Isaiah as this prophetic text. So they knew of the stump of Jesse. The stump of Jesse. When the author references the stump of Jesse, instantly the reader is jumped to David. They see David. They see that glorious, that perfect time when there was wind in the sails and there was momentum that God's rule was coming and it was raining and they're thinking back to that glorious time. That time when David was supposed to be the, the tree at the top and giving life flowing from him, flowing like the Garden of Eden space, that this was Jerusalem. This is how it was supposed to be, that there was supposed to be flourishing and it was good and it was a witness to all peoples everywhere that this was God's people, that God was doing a good thing. Not those Asherah poles and those other idols that would often be under a tree, right? Often under a tree on a high place. And God had said, take those things down. There's only one high place and there's only one tree and I am that tree. And so we have this imagery mixed in. And when we hear the stump of Jesse, and I can picture the nation of Judah as oppression and loss surround them. And they look back to David and they cry out, what happened? Like the line of Jesse was supposed to do something beautiful and profound in our lives and we're, it's gone. The line, the line of Judah is, is like ended. It, we don't see it anywhere. It's, it's absent from our lives. And I just think, what, what happens in our lives when our hope fails us. When everything that we've put our hope in, all of our trust, we've put everything in and it just withers. There's nothing there. We've seen what happens to people who have lost all hope. An apathy, a bitterness, a cold, sarcastic heart that sees all color and gray. But Simeon and Anna, they, they don't end up there. See, I, I love the picture of the stump of Jesse. You might not love that picture. You might not love that image, but I love it because it's honest, right? That if you put all of your hope 
in mankind, if you put all of your hope in nations, in economics, in structures, in systems, and in, even in people, it will not satisfy. If you rest all of your weight on, on family, on health, on intelligence, on influence, all of those things eventually buckle under the weight of life. And I'm not saying that we don't put our trust in these good things that are in our lives. What I'm saying is that when we put all of our hope in these things, these things around us, they will never, ever match the depth of your need. Ever. And so the prophets, they weren't blind to this reality. They saw the devastation. They saw the failure of Judah. They understood. But even in the midst of that landscape that was barren and empty, they could look back at the promises of God. They were able to grasp the depths of what God was up to, and they would offer out an invitation to those who would listen, those who would hear, that you can continue to believe even when you don't see the good that's going on in front of you, even when good seems to have evaporated. An invitation to hope in what was possible. So I'm here to tell you today, that this invitation to believe, this invitation to believe in the impossible, it still stands. It is still possible. God is at work. So in Isaiah 11, there is the stump of Jesse that represents all of the failure, everything that went wrong in the, the nations of Israel. They were supposed to be the tree that provided fruit and life to all people and it's a stump. But then it says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Out of this apparent failure, out of this barren waste, there is this tiny sprout, too small to be noticed except by the keenest eyes. Writer Walter Brueggemann says it this way, and now in the face of that spent hope, the poet asserts a new generativity fancy word, generativity, with a sprout, unnamed and unidentified, but a faint sign of life, growth, and possibility. God is not and never was done with the line of David. And then we see this king, we see this picture in the, in the story of Isaiah 11, that this king is filled with the spirit of the Lord, the wind of God, giving him wisdom, understanding, counsel, and he does it with might. He does it with the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, that he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And then what does he do with this spirit-enabled leadership? And this is important. It says that he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Because we know that kings, they would, they would only see what the people would let them see. They would only hear the news that would make it to their ear. They weren't living with wisdom and justice. But this, this sprout would. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. He will have an eye for the needy. He, his justice will give decisions for the poor of the earth. You know, at the end of the day, there has never been a king who truly lived up to this. Even David, in all of his greatness, didn't come close to living up 
to what was necessary. But the poem doesn't stop there, does it? It takes it one step further. Not only are you going to be a great king that, that does justice rightly and well, but the wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a child will lead them. These pictures are, are vivid and strong. And there, there was always this understanding from the prophet's primarily the prophets, but also throughout all of the Old Testament, that if human relationships could get figured out, that all of creation would benefit. Because they recognized, they looked back at the creation story and saw what went wrong. Humans went after what they weren't supposed to go after. They went after what God had said no to. They wanted to do what was right in their own eyes. And out of that came the fall of creation. Things fell apart from that point. So there's always this belief that if humans could get their relationships right, all of creation would benefit. And we see that. We, we see that. We can know that that's true even in our day. But, but even with that image, all you'd have to do is look at, like, watch any nature documentary and you quickly know that humans don't need to be involved to see some like horrid things taking place in the animal kingdom. There is aggression, hierarchy, domination. It's like built right into their DNA and it's kind of terrifying. If you watch National Geographic too long, you come to the conclusion that a lion and a lamb living together in beautiful, perfect harmony feels a little far-fetched. Brueggemann wisely concludes kind of that observation. Therefore, this poetic uh, scenario is unreal, right? The idea of all of this coming together in beautiful, perfect harmony, it's unreal. It doesn't land in nature. However, this poem is about the impossible possibility of the new creation. The coming king will not only do what the world takes to be possible, doing justice well, but will also do what the world has long since declared to be impossible. I recently watched a documentary on mastius deforestation. I, I will quickly summarize. It was depressing. Um, <laughs> you know, these beautiful lush forest spaces are now deserts. What was once a full ecosystem is now a barren wasteland, and nothing can be done about it. Nothing can be changed. It can't be reversed. It's just, it's gone, never to return. And so that you, you just picture hundreds of chopped down trees, right? Thousands of chopped down trees, none of that growing with sprouts. That is a depressing picture. And in some ways, I believe that that is the picture that the Israelites were holding on into their minds. It reminded me of a story. 70 years into the future, from, from now, today. Barren wasteland. Nothing but cockroaches, uh, canned, mechanically separated chicken, garbage remaining. There's nothing. Humans have abandoned the planet and they live in a massive spaceship floating through the universe. And left behind is a team of waste allocation load lifters, Earth class, behind to clean up the place. But eventually, one remains. We call him Wally. This one 
lonely robot finds a plant. He finds a plant. And he doesn't know this yet, but it is the first green thing that has ever been on the earth for 700 years. And he wraps it up. He takes care of it. He puts it in the boot, as we can see. And then it's found by Eve, the extraterrestrial vegetation evaluator. Um, And this plant becomes the proof, the proof that the humans can now return to earth. But getting that information to the captain in the ship becomes a literal fight for the destiny of the human race. And they eventually get it. And it's this little plant in a boot a revelation of what was possible that changed the entire human civilization in this imaginary future that we hope never happens. Uh, Simeon was a man, yep, hard, hard right. (laughs) Simeon was a man who would have lived through countless uprisings and revolts. He would have seen would-be Messiah figures come and go. And 700 years after Isaiah penned his vision, along comes this little sprout, wrapped up and in the arms of his young mom. And in Luke 2, 25, it says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, who was a righteous and devout man, and he was waiting for the consolation of of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. Imagine if he wasn't moved by the Spirit that day or if he was moved and said, I'm, I'm feeling tired. I'm just going to stay home. Man, what he, he would have missed out on his moment. But he was sensitive to the Holy Spirit And he went to the temple courts, and there, right, he sees the child. And it says, when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what was the custom that the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Right? Jesus, an infant, a vulnerable sprout, but filled with holy possibility, holy potential, filled with the promises that were to be fulfilled. Such good news. News that hadn't been seen for years and years and years. And even like Wally, it was a fight for this news to become seen, to become understood, to become accepted. And it was only by this man's obedience to the promptings of the Holy Spirit that he actually got to be a part of that moment where he got to actually see what was in front of him. So what do we do? We know that this is all about Jesus. Friends, I could stand up here and I could declare with as much arm-waving as possible to try to help you see and understand the hope that is in Jesus, the hope that is in this moment, that is revealed in this story. But it is God himself who announces to our hearts that Jesus is your hope. For some of you today, hopelessness, the hopelessness that you feel, right now is either because Jesus has not been on the center stage for a while 
and your eyes have been off and on other things. Or Jesus has never actually taken that stage. He's never actually been invited into that place. And so in all of the ups and downs that we experience, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus and all that he brings, and we are called to cling to him, to cherish this gift, to nurture this gift. And we see as the, as the story continues on that Simeon, in his obedience, gets to be a part of this. So that when we lose hope, when we're losing hope, when things don't feel right, we can still look to this story. because, And this is the important part, I think, that Simeon sees this salvation. He sees what's going on and then he declares it, right? He shares it amongst everyone. He like holds the child up, declares what's going on and then in the midst of that, this prophetess, this prophet Anna hears, joins and she too responds and then from there she goes out and starts declaring the goodness, the grace, the salvation and redemption of Jerusalem. So I love this picture because Simeon was prompted to go to church. Anna never left it. Um, and together, they announced God's salvation and spread it to all who are in earshot. And it comes from these two seniors. Seniors who held on to hope through obediently following the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Seniors who chose prayer, praise, and fasting to be a way of life. Seniors, seniors who were first to recognize the good news and seniors who were the first to declare the promises of God being fulfilled to all those who would listen. There is no age limit to declaring the goodness of God. There is no age limit. Friends, it is never over for us to spot and see the goodness of God in our lives and to de declare it to others. So what did Simeon and Anna do? First, they showed up, right? They, they showed up into a place of community, right? And it was in that place of community where they were encouraged, they talked to each other, they saw what was going on. We know that being together is important, one of the most popular 12-step sayings, and it's a very simple, profound saying, is keep coming back. That's it. Keep coming back because it works. They've discovered, that, that community understood that just showing up was step one. And my encouragement to all of us, show up. Choose to enter into spiritual community even when you have nothing going on inside because it's others that can help speak truth into your life. Simeon and Anna, they showed up. The next thing they did is they lived with their eyes wide open. They were looking around. How many people saw this baby with this mom walking through the streets, going to the temple, but it was just Simeon who saw and understood, right? Simeon who had eyes ready to see what was going on, and he's like, that child, that child over there, <laughs> right? Being held was noticed, have eyes open to see. I don't, I don't know where you put your attention. Maybe when you walked in, you saw all of the lights and you saw all of the Christmas decorations. That's what you saw first. Maybe you walked in and you saw your friends. You saw the people first. Maybe you walked in and you saw how the chairs weren't quite straight enough. Maybe that's what you saw first. We all have our gifts of sight. 
What we give attention to shapes our lives. Let me say that again. What we give our ten- attention to shapes our, life, our lives. What we choose to spend time looking at affects who we are. Simeon and Anna were tuned into the quiet voice of God. They had their eyes in Scripture. They were looking and they were listening. They desired to see God at work. And guess what? When God incarnate came in, it was these two who noticed. And when, when, when we think of this little sprout, what else did they do? As soon as they saw, as soon as they recognized, they declared God's goodness openly. They declared it openly. Um, some of you might be kind of a reserved type of person. And when God's at work in your life, you just kind of quietly hold on to that and treasure that in your heart. There's others that it, it instantly spill, spills out of you. My encouragement for all of us is to not hold back declaring the goodness of God. Do not hold back that information for yourself and for others. Let me end with this story from my life from this past week. So, um, Friday and Saturday morning for me were a little bit difficult. Not physically, um, but emotionally. I, I was rear-ended in my car on Thursday, and, which just, on, you know, Christmas is coming, and I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. <laughs> And next thing I know, my mind is just replaying the story. My mind is replaying the interaction with those guys. My mind is replaying all of the things I could have said or didn't say and all of these things and the mistakes that I made because like, you know, you have the list of things you're supposed to do in those situations and when you give advice to another person, like, you're, it's easy. But when you're in the moment and you're on your own and you've just had a very important phone call meeting um, with important individuals and you're thinking, and so your mind's distracted. I wasn't thinking clear. So I'm wrestling with all of these thoughts and it's, I'm spiraling down. I'm staring at a screen being like, I don't know how to write this sermon. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And it, it got hard for me. Um, it really did. And all of the time as I'm sitting there, as I'm feeling tempted to despair, feeling alone in it all, um, yeah, and, uh, feelings that I knew were more than necessary, but I was just, you're, sometimes you just get caught in these emotions. And in that moment, I sensed just a quiet, small voice saying one simple thing, reach out. So I reached out to a couple of my friends, sent some text messages, um, basically just asked for prayer, asked for help. And in that small moment, I started to ask for help. I started to worship God. I started to declare his goodness over my life. I was in my kitchen and I was like, God, you are good. You love me. You take care of me. I was like just speaking truth over my life, speaking the goodness of God, asking him to help me see what was going on, helping me to see the truth of what was in front of me. And then after all of that, I sat down, went to the library, and got working. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm sensing, I'm spotting God at work in my writing, in my work, in my thinking, in my life. And I was so thankful. 
That, that sprout, the hope is in Jesus forever and always. But friends, even though we have that hope, there are those weeks when we don't see it, when we don't know how to look for it. And it's in those moments we have Simeon and Anna to remind us, show up, enter into the lives of other people, right? Do that. Have eyes to see the small glimpses of God's kingdom at work in your world. The smallest glimmer, the smallest sprout changes everything. And then third, when you see it, even when you don't see it, praise God. Declare his goodness. And it changes the way you see your own life. It changes the way you see your world. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we declare to you that you are good, that you are a king, and that you came and are still coming, and that we live in this tension, in this frustration of things not yet fully fulfilled. And in this moment of waiting, give us eyes to see the little sprouts of your kingdom at work in our world. Give us eyes to see these things, and give us hearts willing to proclaim it to one another, to tell the story of who you are, to our neighbors, our friends. Lord, this world needs your hope because everything else can't handle the weight of our lives. Everything else buckles under it. The only thing that stands is you, Jesus, strong and mighty and true, King forever, Lord of lords, King of kings. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Friends, we made it. It's a little over time. But would you stand? Let me give you a benediction. May you go with eyes to see the sprouts, eyes to see the kingdom potential in your neighbors, in your life, all around you, and may you declare that goodness to all who might listen. Go in peace. Amen.